going to be entering into a new message series uh, titled this. It's up on the screen. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the subtitle uh, of the series is, I love it, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Um, oof, that hurts. I don't know about you, like, I ever walk out of church sometimes and you're like, uh, that hurt. You know what I'm saying? Um, this actually, this, this series is based on a book with the same title by a guy named Pete Scazzaro, uh, who is a psychologist and uh, knows a lot more than I ever would. But I just really felt the push from the Lord. I read this book recently with a few other guys in our church and really felt the push to say, hey, let's start opening the can when it comes to emotional health and what that would look like and what God wants to do in our lives personally and individually. And uh, I don't know about you, but like many times I'm preaching out of my own uh, detriments and what the Lord's speaking to me. I think emotional health for me many times comes to my self-awareness. How do I make people feel? How do I make people feel when I walk in the room? Am I aware of that? Am I aware of the way and self-aware enough to understand emotionally how I impact other people? How do I make our staff feel? Do I make them feel threatened? Do I make them feel small? So a lot of this has been a journey of me understanding the barometer of where I'm at with my emotional health. I think each and every one of us uh, has different barometers of where our emotional health is at. I would say uh, through the helpfulness of my wife, one of the barometers for me and where my emotional health is at at any current uh, situation is how I respond to somebody who gets my fast food order wrong. Anybody? Right? Yeah. Uh, when that happens, I get very, very concerned and um, I nearly lose it every time, right? Like, how could you? I got home and I said no tomatoes. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, how do I respond, right? Do I respond out of a posture saying, it's not that big deal. Pick off the tomatoes, TD. Or do I respond of, I'm going back and I'm going to demand for free stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and, and this weekend it was so funny because it was an opportunity like that. Again, we ordered pizza. And, and you know, Luca, he's like cheese only kind of guy. So I'm like, okay, like you want cheese only. I don't because I want meat on my pizza, right? Like I'm going to get sausage on mine. So I, we ordered from Pizza Hut. And, uh, you know, like, i just trying to do all these coupons. I'm like that guy, right? I'm always trying to find the best deal. So, like, in the midst of, like, ma manipulating all these coupon codes and finally getting the best deal, I ordered the pizza wrong, right? I ordered it online. So it comes to my door, and, and the, you know, they're reading off the order again. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, like, so that's half, you know, cheese and half sausage, right? And he's like, no, no, let me show you the receipt. And I'm like, really? You know what I mean? I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. There's a choice right now. And uh, anyway, I was like, well, this kind of just defeats the whole point. You know, I'm starting to get a little chippy with this guy, right? So finally he leaves, you know, poor delivery driver. So he's like, well, I would just, you know, sometimes online screws it up. So I call Pizza Hut, right? And I'm like, hey, uh, I did an online order, and I think they did the pizza wrong, or maybe I ordered it wrong, or maybe something online went bad. And they were like, well, let me just check your order number. And they're like, nope, looks good to me. And I was like, well, is there anything you can, like, kind of do for me uh, because I got ordered wrong or whatever? And literally the phone was just silent. He was like, well, I mean, if it's your mistake, I mean, there's not. And I was like, okay, yeah, my mistake, yeah, well, get, yep, have a great night, click, you know what I mean? And, like, for me, I was like, you know, that's, like, half of a win because I kind of got frustrated a little bit. But, hey, you know, we're on baby time right now, infant time, and my emotional health, that's, that's a little bit of a concern. So I just want to let you know in this series, once again, we are a work in progress, and God is speaking through and to me as well, just as hopeful, just as, hopeful as I am, that this is going to be really, really helpful to you. What does our emotional health look like? How do we maturely respond to people? How do we deal with conflict? What are the red flags in our day-to-day -day that reminds us, hmm, maybe there's a little bit of redemption that needs to happen in our very lives that God wants to get a hold of and get attention to in our lives. 
And I'll say this as we begin, as a church, I always like to remind us of our family goal. And that family goal is for us, this is why we do what we do. This is where every resource that we have, it goes towards this goal and this mission, which is to adopt anyone and everyone into the genuine and active love of Jesus. And I'll just say this is that I feel like we've been gung-ho on the active part of that mission of how can we be more active? How can we posture ourselves in our community? You know, one of the things that we constantly talk about is this hashtag for Ponca City. Like, how are we posturing ourselves to remind people that God is for them rather than being the church that always reminds people what we're against, right? What does it look like for us to be active in our community? What does it look like for us to be a church that's tucked away in a neighborhood that doesn't get much traffic and getting ourselves out in the community reminding people that God is for them, right? We are constantly talking about being active. But this series is one that's going to be more um, centered around the idea of what does it look like to be genuine in our faith? What, what does it look like to get maybe underneath the iceberg? What does it look like to get maybe beyond the facade of church? Because it's easy on a, two hours on a Sunday to put on any sort of facade to make people believe that you're something you're not. What does it look like to function as a family? What does it look like to go deep beneath the iceberg in terms of what God wants to redeem in you and wants to re- re- renew in me? Pete Scazzaro, the author of this book, uh, which by the way, uh, it's available at any kind of bookstore. And also, I think we have a few copies that you can actually uh, uh, rent out for free in our library. So check in with them. And I know I've seen a few copies in there. But I love Pete Scazzaro. He, he has this quote. He says at the beginning of this book, he says, pretending is safer than honesty and vulnerability. That's so true. Pretending is always the easy way out. Like, it's easy to, to, to live the Instagram type of life. Like, just kind of putting off what I want people to see, but it's another thing of letting people in to the warts, to the all, to the fact that you and I are imperfect, look nothing like Jesus, are a renovation in progress, and it's painful sometimes to come to grips with the fact that you and I make mistakes, we fail other people, and we disappoint. But in this series, we're going to try to go beyond pretending. We're trying to, we're to try to go beyond, like, putting on our best behavior on a Sunday, we're going to go beyond, maybe this is uncomfortable for you, once again, uh, hopefully pastor <laughs> imaging that for us in terms of some of the vulnerability. You already know I'm an angry fast food eater, so let's get beyond that, or orderer, of what does that look like? Because I'm not perfect, but I have the privilege of being on assignment, the first among equals kind of in this journey for us together. Um, and for some of you, maybe you grew up in, in churches where it was expected for this guy to kind of have it all together. But I'll be the first to let you know so that you're not disappointed that I don't. But let's journey together and go there with each other and, and navigate what it would look like as genuine human beings in our faith to go deep and get, go underneath the iceberg or at least start opening the can of what that would look like for us to have, begin to have a conversation. So the, the title this morning as we kick off this series, um, I titled this message in particular, um, this will be up on the screen, There's Something Missing. There's Something Missing. Um, here's what I know is that <laughs> we all have families, and we typically all have kind of messed up families or family origins or stories, right? Rarely does anyone come out of their family of origin emotionally healthy or emotionally whole. Like, let's just start there. Let's start at just a really honest place of saying that our parents tried to do the best, but really we come out of experiences and circumstances and relationships as really broken human beings. And the question becomes, what do we do with that, right? I love 2 Corinthians 5.17, 
which we're going to look at. But sometimes we misapply this verse and, and kind of live in a fairy tale land. I love 7 Corinthians 5.17 because there's so much promise here. It reminds us the truth of God and his word. And when he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Wow. Like, I love this verse because it's so much promise of reminding us that what Jesus did for us on the cross, we inherit the beauty of his forgiveness, the beauty of this reconciliation between us and God and this gap of sin that, that caused us not to have right relationship, right? There's so many spiritual aspects, but here, if you've been a Christian for a day, here's what you understand is that there's a reality to the, the purposes of this verse that show us that as we live our lives, life isn't ought the way it should be. It's not like you accept Jesus and everything's perfect. It's a new life. It's completely redeemed and we just erase the past completely and never acknowledge some of the brokenness that exists in our family of origin and the type of people we are. See, that type of faith causes us to have to confront and do deep and hard work in understanding the newness and the healing that God wants to bring. For some of us, though, it's like we live in an imaginary world where it's like everything's good. We're just going to erase and we take this verse to an extreme that doesn't acknowledge the brokenness and the depth of what Jesus wants to confront and heal in our lives. Anyone who's been a Christian for a day knows that Scripture sound bites, in terms of the newness of God are not this simplistic when it comes to following Jesus. There's a spiritual reality that's still being reconciled while we live on this earth. There's a tension that exists as you receive and you begin to follow Jesus in your life of living according to a new master, the spirit of God, versus living under the old master, which is our human frailty. And that's a journey. And that's a tension we have to live with in dealing with what it's like to acknowledge and move on from the old master and move under a life and what that looks like under obedience to God's spirit. So this morning, what is the old for you? Maybe what is the big issue that you've brushed under the rug and said, well, I brushed it under the rug. Do you have a keen awareness of the old? Do you have a self-awareness of your past? And maybe what is in need of healing, God's healing? Do you have an understanding of the old in which now lives under a new master and God wants to get a hold of that? And maybe it's pretty deep. Maybe it's underneath the surface of the iceberg that much of it protrude or much much of it lies underneath the water based on what people can actually see, that the 10% that lies above the surface. You know, the consequences of sin and the way that it's affected the world that we live in has a lot of implications, has a lot of application to our families and our family of origin, right? Shame, secrets, lies, betrayals, relationship breakdowns, disappointments, Unresolved longings for unconditional love. These are all things that lie beneath the surface. Maybe different degrees for each and every one of us in the world that we live in and in the life we're trying to reconcile to the life of God. But it's interesting because in our church approaches, sometimes emotional aspects of our, cap our capacity and our capability kind of get shoved off to the side. What do I mean by that? I mean this as, as many times, and even as a pastor, I, I think I struggle with this, is like, yeah, well, how do we relate to emotional health and well-being 
in regards to our spirituality because there's a temptation in each and every one of us to do, to do, to do, to do. Let's do for God. Let's do more for God. Let's be more active in engaging with God, right? Rather than taking a posture, rather than doing for, we take a posture of being with, right? There's a temptation in all of us to say, okay, more Bible study, right? I need to read the Bible more. I'm a mess, but like, just read the Bible more. That's, that's, that's the equation for success. Or more small groups, right? Like, I need to get in more small groups. I'm not going to attend one small group. Like, I need to have more relationships, more of a community around me. I need to attend more than one. Maybe I need to pray more. Maybe it's more spiritual warfare. Like, I need to learn in terms of the strength of pushing back on, on what I feel like the enemy's trying to remind me of, right? More worship. I need to worship more. More justice. I need to do more. I need to represent justice more. More gifts of the Spirit. More prophecy. More grace, right? More, 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 more. And here's what I'll say. I'll be the first one to say that those are all things that we need in our spiritual journey. But there's something missing. That if we don't address, more Bible study is not going to solve the emotional brokenness that we're wrestling with. More worship is not going to solve the emotional depth of what lies underneath the iceberg. Right? More gifts of the Spirit. Being more outwardly spiritual. See, spiritual maturity and emotional maturity are like two sides of the same coin. Are you like me? You've tried to do more. But as the title of this message, there's, there's something that's still missing. Maybe you've attended church for a long time and there's just, there's a, there, you're doing more. Maybe you're getting more plugged in. You're doing things you've never done in terms of your ability to engage with spiritual practices and disciplines. But there's still something missing. And that's what's so interesting is sometimes the more of church can become the very distraction and the very facade in which we use it for an excuse to never, leave, never emotionally mature. Like, well, I need to do this, and it becomes a distraction to say, okay, God, it's time to go deep. Emotions and all. I love what Pete Scazzaro says. Not only, you know, somebody that uh, in terms of psychology has a lot of um, weight in, in, in an education, but serves as a, served as a pastor in, for many years. He says this in the book. I experienced the growing tension of a double life, preaching love and forgiveness on Sundays and cursing alone in my car on Mondays. It's funny because I've been that guy. But maybe you're like, (laughs) these people. But just for a second, like, I read that and I'm going, yep, completely. Yeah, there's, there's some things in my emotional health that need to be addressed. But would we have the honesty and vulnerability to say, you know what, maybe it doesn't look exactly like that, but I relate in terms of this tension I feel of being a person of God, but dealing with the unresolved outcomes in my life that remind me that there's some things underneath the surface that that need to be dealt with. So here's the big assumption that we're going to make in this series, and we're going to kind of build upon that. Um, and I'm excited about the progression of this series. And once again, we're not going to get through everything. And it's not going to be the most robust thing. But I, I would just say this, that I feel like the conversation of emotional health um, doesn't always appear uh, in church circles always. So for me, I think it's more important for us just to start opening the can, as I mentioned. Let's, let's start journeying a little bit together and exploring what this would look like for each and every one of us to start engaging with what emotional healing might look like. So... Um, Here's the assumption up on the screen that we're going to be making during this series. Is, and I've kind of 
already alluded to this, but emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. They're, they're absolutely inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Because here's, here's my assumption I just want to make about each and every one of us and why we're here. I'm assuming we're here because there's benefit to being a part of church community and being a part of the mission of God. There's benefit of being a, a person, a human being that's saying, you know what, I don't have it all together, but I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to engage in a lifestyle of growing and what it would look to be more and more like Jesus. Because I don't know about you, I'm committed to be not like a lifetime know-it-all, but take a posture in saying there's something that I can learn from each and every circumstance. And for, for, for us to, for, during the series, my hope is even if you're like, yeah, I got a great grasp on my emotional health, good for you, but like I still believe that there's some things that are going to be new. There's maybe some things that God wants to speak and do a, a, a greater healing in each and every one of our lives as we take a posture of saying, okay, God, go there. I'm allowing you to go there. So let's, let's begin to build a theology around understanding this. Because once again, like this is an uncomfortable topic, I think many times in, in, in church atmospheres. But let's go back to the beginning. And, and I actually preached on this in our Greatest Hits uh, message series in terms of the creation account. But I think there's, you know, Genesis 1.27 clues us into how God created us. And, and up on the screen, the, this, this verse that has massive implications about how we live our lives, but it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does that image of God entail? What does that look like? What are the implications of how God created us as human beings and as in our emotional capacity, something that we confront and absolutely and outright reject? I would argue no, because we know that there's five main capacities in which we live as human beings with the assumption created in the image of God. So let's look at the next slide here. So this image includes um, five major uh, capacities, right? A, a physical capacity, right? A spiritual capacity, an intellectual capacity, a social capacity, and then an emotional capacity. It's amazing to look throughout the scripture and to see the way that God redeems all of those capacities as what it means to be a human being, right? Physically, what does God do and promises for us to completely heal us of our physical ailments, that we're going to receive new bodies in a future time when everything is restored back together. Once again, based on what Jesus has done, but a future promise in which we have to look forward to. Spiritual implications about our eternal state. I love what Jesus has done because it's reconciled us back to God. It has implications about what happens when we die? Intellectual, growing in knowledge. I love when worship is framed in the context of a renewal of our minds. The way that we're growing intellectually matters to God and how we understand, see the world, and apply what we understand about God to the life that we live. Social, there's so many implications about how we socially interact with the world, that we want to be salt and light, right? Witnesses to the world around us from a social standpoint. But then lastly, right, emotional. One that sometimes it's kind of like in that long list, it's kind of like we're just going to kind of leave that one and kind of just like that one's okay over there, right? But it's interesting. All those areas are kind of above the surface or, or allude to some sort of a way that we can recognize somebody. I think about physically. 
If someone has a physical ailment, we are completely aware of it by what we see. Spiritually, even, uh, this is why terms in today, man, I got good vibes or bad vibes about that person. We have a, a sense of awareness of saying, yeah, that gives me, that's good vibes, right? We've created a secular language around spiritual experiences, even for people that are like, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm not. Intellectually, right? Mental capacity. It's something that, 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 that we have an awareness. When somebody's suffering from a mental capacity and knowing just by seeing and experiencing with our senses. Socially. People know when you're awkward or not. I'm that guy many times in social situations, right? You know the awkward guy when you meet him because they don't always have the right words to say. But emotionally, see, sometimes it's very hard from a surface level to know when that area of your life is immature. You can figure it out when you hang out with people enough, but at a surface level, that's an easy one to create a facade for that people don't always immediately experience. Love, once again, what Pete Scazzaro says in his book. He says, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. Phew. That stings for me. I don't know about you. I think about early on in my Christian walk where I feel like this was the story for me because I resisted brokenness in my own life. I resisted some of the things that I brushed under the rug having to do with spiritualizing away God and what he'd done with me when there's deep and gaping wounds that God still wanted to address and wanted to redeem and to acknowledge. We're going to continue this morning, but before we do, I want to get us excited about next week and where we're going to be going before we give a few kind of helpful definitions and we conclude this morning. But next week, uh, be up on the screen, uh, what we're going to be covering next week, I, this, is, this, is <laughs> this is one of those ones that's like, man, you, you read it or you, you kind of start dipping in this direction and you're going, maybe I'm an emotional toddler, right? <laughs> you know, like, so next week we're going to be looking at the ten, top 10 symptoms of emotionally healthy spirituality. We're going to look at, the, how do I gauge this? How do I know? And we're going to give some just really kind of just practical top ten ways of like, wow, I, I see myself in that. Or maybe, yeah, okay, here's an area of my emotional unhealth that I need to get down to the nitty-gritty and allow God to redeem and restore. But uh, before we, we conclude um, and, and, and continue in our series, here's, here's kind of where we're going. And, and, and I want to give us kind of a launch place and, and kind of conclude today from this place. But I don't know about you, but have you ever um, met a non-church person who's more loving, balanced, and civil than a church person? I mean, I have, right? Yes, I think, I think we all have. And in the, in the same extreme as well, have you ever met a spiritual person who's very spiritual and who's deeply committed to spiritual practices but remains very emotionally unaware? very unself-aware. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've, I've met those very type of people. So that, that's where we're at. It's kind of like, how do we crash both of those things together? The spiritual practice side, what we're going to define as contemplative spirituality, what it looks like for us to grow in Jesus individually and as a community, but also crashing together with this side of 
what would it look like for God to redeem and restore our emotional health and immaturity? So let's kind of, we've talked a lot about emotional health, and now we're kind of, you know, contemplative spirituality. What does this look like? I think what's going to be helpful up on the screen, we're going to kind of start defining what we mean by emotional health and uh, what, what emotional health is concerned with such things as. So just got a list here. It's like, okay, what does emotional health mean to me? Here's the types of things that we're going to be kind of uh, talking about and starting to open the can with. So emotional health is concerned with such things as naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. What does that look like? Uh, identifying with and having active compassion for other people. Do we view people as objects or do we view people as imaged of God, human beings with compassion? Uh, initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. <sighs> yeah. I see myself in this sometimes. Being allergic to having very, very, very close relationships. I've seen that as a pattern in my life. Once again, creating an opportunity of saying, maybe there's something that needs to be addressed. Maybe that's you this morning. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns, right? Being aware of how our past impacts our present. We have a big one in this series, having to go back in order to go forward. So for some of us, we don't, we don't want to look at what's underneath that rug, right? We keep going here. Developing the capacity to express our thoughts and feelings clearly. <laughs> Here's another one I relate to, right? It's like sometimes I don't communicate the thing I want to clearly, and sometimes it's unclear. Sometimes I'm a little passive aggressive, and that's an area that God wants to redeem and continue to redeem for me. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. <sighs> we live in a time and a day and age where there's just an agenda hiding under every relationship, it seems like. Not the way that Jesus wants us to interact with other human beings. What would that look like? Um, asking for what we need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and respectfully, that's a challenge. That doesn't come easy when it comes to our emotional brokenness. Accurately self-assessing our strengths, limits, and weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. Do people know what you struggle with? Are you in relationship with others who know? Yeah. Here's a blind spot for me. Here's where I'm needing help. Right? Three more. Learning the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. Woo! Conflict management. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about that. He had a lot to say about, hey, like, if you don't like somebody, just go off and gossip about them. You know, actually go talk to all the other people about the issue you have with them and never actually address it with the person. Actually, he said the very opposite. He said, if you've got a problem with somebody, you, you deal with it with them. Because there's no benefit of talking to anyone else about it because the problem will never get solved. <sighs> That's painful because sometimes in church circles and environments, we become the best gossipers. Oof. Integrating our spirituality with our sexuality in a healthy way. Wow. Big, big topic of conversation even in our culture today that matters so much. And then lastly, grieving well. What does it look like to grieve well? We, we lose people in our lifetime. We lose people that are close to us. What, is that, what does that look like? What are the implications of our emotional health, how that's impacted, how we find healing through that? Um, it matters to God. It does. Um, so let's, so that's, that's um, 
one, one, one half of kind of the pie of what we're trying to reconcile together, right? And, and, and really, this has to do with mission of God type stuff, like being a good witness. Like, you won't be a good witness if you're, not an emo- if you're an emotional mess and you're like, yeah, I pray all the time, I read my Bible, but when I interact with you, I'm just a complete jerk because emotionally, I'm all over the place. See, that, that actually hurts the mission of God which is why God's so concerned about our emotional capacity and our health. Because you can be the biggest church to do person and surround those things with your life and you're an emotional mess and when people are around you, they can't stand you. See, that doesn't help the mission of God whatsoever. The like go and be my church mission that God has placed a co-responsibility with us and him to go establish what it might look like for us to invite heaven into our communities and to be salt of the earth type of people, light of the world type of people. Because if emotional health, the underneath the surface type of stuff, isn't there, it begins to impact all the above, add into my life, expecting it to solve the deep issues that God wants to get a hold of. So this emotional health, very mission of God type of stuff because it involves us and our capacity to be good witnesses. But then we get to contemplative spirituality. So what does this look like for us? Okay, contemplative spirituality is concerned with such things as, let's talk about these things. Okay, awakening and surrendering to God's love in any and every situation. We talk about God's love a lot in this church. And if we're going to lead with anything, I hope it's with the reality of his love and the posture of understanding how much God loves us which gives us a a driving passion of understanding how we then treat other people based out of understanding our relationship with God. Positioning ourselves to hear God and remember his presence in all we do. (sighs) I don't know about you. I'm a person that's like, if God's presence isn't there, like, I don't want to be there. Like, I want to be where God's presence is at. Much like the people of Israel that were like, okay, we got this tabernacle where God's presence is. Like, we don't leave without it. And when they did, they got into a lot of trouble. But for us, what does it look like to engage with God's presence and and invite God's presence everywhere we are, in every nook and cranny? Communing with God, allowing him to fully indwell the depth of our being. What does that look like? Practicing silence, solitude, and a life of unceasing prayer, slowing down. Being in moments where we can drown out the noise and hear clearly the voice of God. Next, uh, resting attentively in the presence of God. There's a little bit of Sabbath kind of wrapped up in there. Do we Sabbath well? Do we rest well? Understanding our earthly life is a journey of transformation toward ever-increasing union with God. Are we growing in our faith? Are we getting closer to Him? Are we taking steps closer in relationship with God? Or maybe we're taking steps backwards. Because we're not growing. Are we paying attention to that? Finding the true essence of who we are in God, our identity impacts everything, right? Loving others out of a life of love for God. There's that theme of love again. Developing a balanced, harmonious rhythm of life that enables us to be aware of the sacred and all of life. What kind of lens do we see through life? Do we see life through the lens of opportunity or do we see life through the lens of doom and gloom? I would argue God gives us the lens to see life and opportunity through a lavish kingdom of possibility and what heaven would look like when it crashes into the realities on earth. Three last ones. Adapting historic practices of spirituality that are applicable today. Sometimes some of this, like, stuff, we get really, like, wrapped up, like, Eastern religion, like, meditation. I'm uncomfortable with that. 
we're uncomfortable many times with that because we grew up in a Western church where that wasn't practiced. But let me tell you, much of contemplative spiritual practices came from rhythms of the monastic type people who were the originators who said, what would life look like for me to say no to things so I can say yes to a clarity with God? I think many times the Eastern religions have stolen from church history some of the practices that we've lost along the way. Allowing our Christian lives to be shaped by the rhythms uh, of the Christian calendar rather than the culture. Ooh, this is an interesting one. The church calendar, what does that look like? How can we learn from the church calendar, right? We're coming upon a holiday season of Advent. Many of us do Advent calendars. But what does that look like for us to pay attention to those rhythms in the history of the church and engage with some of these disciplines that had purpose that probably kept us in a very spiritual, engaging type of a place? Then lastly, living in a community that passionately loves Jesus above all else, right? That's local church type stuff. We're in love with the we're in love with Jesus, so naturally we're going to be in love with His bride. Like you can't separate the two. Like the bride of Christ is His church, so like you can't be like I love you, Jesus, but your wife's really ugly. Like that doesn't go over well with anybody, right? You're not going to have right relationship with the groom when you approach life in such a way. So the the contemplative spirituality, this is a uh, this is presence of God type stuff, once again. This is how we engage personally with God. But both are needed to have an authentic life in Christ. We need the emotional health, and we need the contemplative spirituality. We need those two worlds. What would it look like for those two worlds to crash together? And, and both are, are needed to love God, love ourselves, and love, love others. Bo- both are needed for us to have the capacity to do that really, really well and really maturely. Um, And as as Jesus alluded to during his time on earth, that um, loving God and love people, those are two sides of the same coin. You can't neglect one and and, and not have the other represented. Loving God is more concerned with our contemplative spirituality, how we're connecting and engaging with the God of the universe, how we have practices built in our life to do that. And loving ourselves and others is, is more concerned with emotional health and how we have the capacity to be um, the mouthpiece or to be a vehicle for God's grace to crash into other people's life. How do we spread the message? How do we spread the love? How do we take God's mission? Self-awareness for ourselves and others. How do we see and treat people? How do we do that? How do we see people on an inherent level? And how do we love and respect others well? But also a self-awareness of ourselves and God. How do you view God? Maybe you had a physical, abusive type relationship with your father. And that's manifested in the way that you view God. And that impacts in the way that you express God's love. See, how we view God directly affects Sometimes our experiences directly affect and impact the way that we view God or the lens that we read specific things about God. But God wants to remind us of both of those things. He wants to engage with us in a journey where he helps put us back together. And that's my prayer for this series, is that we would be courageous enough 
corporately, but yet individually, to say, okay, God, I need you. And, I, and I'm asking for you to go deep. So this morning, I, I want to close, and the way I want us to close is I just want to invite us to take a posture, and maybe God's kind of knocking on, on your heart this morning, um, but I want to close in a posture where we, I would just pray for us um, as we kind of journey together in this series, and maybe some things have sparked up, even in some of the things that we've talked about. Maybe some things have been, I don't know, maybe your mind has gone down a path of opening some wounds that you didn't expect this morning. But God is the one who promises to put us back together. That is the God we serve. That is the king we hold and worship highly as a church. Everything filters through the love and the grace of God and the healing and the resources he has at disposal for each and every one of us. So I just want to close this morning by us just taking a posture of really leaning in and trusting God and saying and just praying over us and just asking God, would you come and begin to uncover and go deep beneath the iceberg? Maybe there's some things that now are re retracing and saying, yeah, maybe those are some triggers to remind me my emotional health isn't completely intact. But would we be just so courageous this morning just to take a posture as we begin this series and saying, Lord, I'm going to let you in to all those crevices and crannies and maybe where I haven't let you in before. So can we pray together?